0: Like many of you, I'm curious about many topics, and what better way to learn than to speak directly with the people who have the answers or insights that you're looking for. My name is Costa. welcome to Founder Reviews, that's what this channel is all about. You're going to hear me pick the brains of thought leaders, CEOs, politicians, and business experts about subjects that I'm personally interested in or working on at any given time from economics, business, real estate investing, Bitcoin, politics, and much, much more. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. How are you, Scott? Good to chat again.
1: I'm doing well, doing well. Awesome. I'm listener. always happy to be on, always happy to be able to be in the media and, and talk to people about the, the benefits of infinite banking.
0: Yeah, see, this is a conversation I was so excited to have with you again, and this time record it because I'm very eager to just share the concept with as many people uh, as I can. Um, so I randomly stumbled upon this concept of infinite banking a little while back. I've done quite a bit of research, digging on the subject, uh, read a couple of books, uh, like the one behind you there, uh, and so on. And each time I, I, I dig deeper into this rabbit hole, I continue to get just more fascinated with the whole concept of infinite banking uh, for so many reasons, which, which we'll get into. Um, and I really wish I got exposed to it sooner and like, like many people who, 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 uh, who stumble on it. But for, to kick things off, Scott, uh, if you don't mind, just introduce yourself quickly to those listening.
1: Hi everyone out there. Uh, My name is Scott Cordier. I've been a certified financial planner for the last 28 years and I came across Infinite Banking because I was constantly questioning the truth of the traditional narrative regarding financial planning. The narrative as to why we put our money away for decades and decades hoping that it's going to grow to a pool of money for us to use in the future, but we have no control over that money. And I've seen a lot of financial statements from clients where they've locked money away in RSPs, TFSAs, they've been paying their house off faster, and they've been taking that money out of their current lifestyle and putting it away for their future lifestyle, which now means they have less money to spend on their current lifestyle which, strangely, they end up then going into debt. And up until the last three or four years, when interest rates had have really dropped down in, you know, to incredibly low uh, percentages, the interest rate that they were paying on debt was higher than the interest rate they were earning on their assets. And when you start to look at that and start to question whether or not traditional financial planning actually is going to work, it's still an experiment. The financial planning, of the RSPs, the whole idea that we have today it really was born in the mid-70s to early 80s. So it's the baby boomers that are the guinea pigs to figure out if they're going to have enough money for retirement. And then the issue is almost all the money they put into retirement is in the form of an RSP, which is going to be fully taxable when they go to pull it out. So Everybody who's listening to this, watching this, can agree that we've all made financial mistakes in the past. The problem is if we don't learn from them, then we're destined to just repeat the problem again and again and again. And most of the times, it's not a problem that we created. It's a problem that we just kind of stepped into because that's the nature of the environment where we have our capital. So one of the big questions, and I I, I know I, I brought this up to you when we were chatting before. If you're not aware of a problem, how much time are you going to spend looking for the solution? And the answer is none. So the big benefit with infinite banking is to expose to you all of the problems of traditional financial planning and how we are constantly hemorrhaging our money away from ourselves with every transaction we do. So that led me, took me 25 years to finally find the red pill. And as soon as I got it and it clicked in, suddenly I could look back at all of the 25 years before that, all of the financial mistakes, not just, sorry, for myself, but for my clients. And realize that, as you said, if I had known about this earlier, we could have navigated right through any financial problem and come out the other side completely unscathed and actually with more assets. And that's
0: what the 1% do. For sure. So a lot I want to unpack and get into there. Um, So first of all, I'm hoping this conversation, it's, um, because you can get very deep into this whole concept and get very detailed. There's so many different ways to go about it and look at it. But my hope is to be able to pique as many people's interests as possible, raise as many eyebrows as possible. So. Um, you know, that's my hope for this conversation. So I've been telling everyone close to me about infinite banking, this concept, uh, since I, since I really, uh, started getting more comfortable with it, I still haven't perfected the quick, you know, definition, (laughs) quick pitch yet. Like you've probably come up with a much better, uh, sort of definition or pitch than I have. So can you please give it to us? Like, what is infinite banking?
1: Perfect. I was actually, when I was working out this morning, I was listening to a podcast and that question came up and it was a Canadian podcast and the answer was all about the product, the process. The product and the process are actually number three and number four. First, it's the concept. Infinite banking is a concept wrapped around an ideology. And the ideology goes back to if you don't know you have a problem, you're not going to look for the solution. So first and foremost, the problem is since the Federal Reserve in the U.S. was put in place in 1913, we've been in a a Keynesian economy that allows for the Federal Reserve to print money out of nothing and essentially to print the money, buy the debt, you know, then sell the debt back, collect the money and keep the process. So when you are producing money out of thin air and putting it into the system, you push down interest rates and you allow for easy access to credit because everybody has a ton of money to be able to lend. So the banks have all this money and then consumers go and get all this money. What that leads to is... A situation similar to the roaring 20s where there is rampant uh, expansion of all assets and towards the end of it it gets very speculative but the Federal Reserve was the one who created the money in the first place and pushed the rates down so that's called quantitative easing the exact opposite is quantitative tightening when they now start to pull that money back out and think of it like the old game of musical chairs, but you're in the dark. You knew there was a hundred chairs on a hundred people turn off the lights. You go around in a circle, but what you don't realize is that while it's been dark, they've been pulling chairs away and suddenly when they turn the lights on, there's only five chairs left. So when they start to pull that money out of the system, everybody is now essentially caught with a ton of speculative debt They've been purchasing assets on credit because credit was low and then rates start to go up. And the cause of quantitative easing is inflation, which is where we're at now. So if anybody thinks that inflation is just temporary, it can only be temporary if the Fed decides to start pumping money back into the system. But it really is that simple. If we go back through time when money was put into the system Assets are going to go up, interest rates are going to go down, but the end result of that is the exact opposite. Interest rates are going to go up and assets are going to go down because that's the always the end result of pumping money into the system. So to, to kind of make a quick answer to a very long question, the ideology is we need to get our money out of what's called a fractional reserve system. And fractional reserve is essentially the banks are allowed to lend at a minimum 10 times the amount of money you leave on deposit. So if any of your listeners are out there, let's say you had $10,000 in the bank. You think that $10,000 is yours. But in reality, you've lent it to the bank in lieu of an interest rate that they're paying you. You are now a junior creditor to the bank. The bank has taken your $10,000 and can lend it out and make $100,000 worth of fake loans, which they are now using, let's say, for a car loan at 5%. So the banks are leveraging this money out, just like the Federal Reserve printing money out of nowhere. They've created $100,000 out of nowhere, pumped that into the system, and when there's more money for people to be able to chase items supply and demand, the price goes up, and we have inflation. So inside of infinite banking, the product that we use is a non-fractional reserve asset. There is no funny business, and there's no opportunity for the money inside your policy to go down. Whereas your money in the bank, where you think it's the safest, if it was so safe, why did the government feel necessary for them to put CDIC insurance in place to protect you? Good point. This is the problem where, you know, traditional financial planning says have 3, 6, 12 months of cash reserve in case you lose your job, et cetera. Well, where are you going to keep that money if you need it? In the stock market where you could lose 50% or in the bank? The bank's going, thank you very much. We'll now take that money and we'll loan it out at 10 times and we'll make money off of it. And this is where people are losing money consistently because they're following traditional financial planning which does nothing more than allow those who control the asset to make money off of it while you're waiting for it to essentially mature. Yeah.
0: lot of great answer. Perfect answer. Um, just to add to that. So just to be clear, so this is, this infinite banking concept, you're utilizing uh, essentially what is a, a whole life insurance policy, right?
1: Right. And that's normally when people run away because they're going whole yeah, life sure. I've, been, I've been I've been told whole life's a horrible investment you're absolutely right the problem is that's comparing apples to elephants whole life is not an investment because an investment by definition includes an element of risk and the p- potential for loss or complete loss inside of the insurance policy your cash value your banking system your savings Because it's non-fractional reserve, you can't lose money. So as a result, you can't say it's an investment versus, you know, it's a bad investment because it's not. It is a warehouse of wealth that allows you to never interrupt the compound curve because the money can't go down year after year after year. It's going to increase in value. But while it's growing, you get to use it. For your current lifestyle. So your quick little, you know, synopsis of like, well, what's the elevator pitch? If you really wanted to get to the crux of it, I tell people, I'm going to teach you how to create wealth from your expenses. Turn every liability into an asset and every asset's going to make money for you for the rest of your life.
0: Love it. Love it. So for me uh, personally, um, there are three probably more, but three main reasons why I got intrigued with the concept, um, you know, so I want to touch on these. So one, uh, as you alluded to, that that safety, that dividend in this case, which insurance companies have uh, declared and issued on these policies for, correct me if I'm wrong, but over a hundred years, uh, they've never correct. missed, never missed a dividend through, you know, both world wars, Great Depression, uh, high inflation in the 90s, great financial crisis, 2008. Um, so they've always declared a dividend, which I think on average, I don't know, call it just over 6%, say, per year. Yeah, so
1: the dividend is interest rate sensitive. Yeah. So the the dividend is derived from the divisible surplus of what's called the participating account. This is where all of your money has gone into. Once all of the expenses are paid, which death benefits, obviously it's insurance, are the largest expense, the residual amount of profit is then declared and distributed to the policyholders as a dividend. But because the insurance companies are a widows and orphans guaranteed vehicle, the vast majority of their portfolio is in bonds. Because the need to know on January the 1st of each year, how much money is maturing to cover off the projected liability. So as interest rates have come down from their 1981 peaks, so has the dividend. The beautiful thing about this environment right now, we know interest rates are going to be going up in the future. 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, rates are going to be higher than they are today. Because we are at abnormally low manipulated interest rates and we're seeing that now reverse as i spoke to earlier regarding the federal reserve and its tightening so this is the ideal environment where your projected growth going forward is likely going to be higher than whatever we're illustrating in the policy when we're setting it up but also consider that dividend because that dividend is a retroactive calculation of profit think of it like a GIC, you buy a GIC, you know, you've got that guaranteed rate of return for the next 12 months. So every single day that you wake up, you have more money than you had before. The Mm -hmm. dividend works exactly the same way when it is declared. That is your growth for the next 12 months. It can't go down.
0: Yeah. And it can,
1: right. It could be zero. Like if it was zero, all hell broke loose in the world. And the fact is, if all hell broke loose, all of your other assets have gone down in value, but your cash value inside your insurance can't. Which is why when we look at the stress test, you nailed it. If you want to stress test it, 2008 and the Great Depression, your money went up and was never influenced by what the stock market did. Yeah. And those who have access to capital, essentially, you know, he who has the gold makes the rules. But when you have access to, access to capital that can't go down, problems for everybody else are now opportunities for you. And that's yeah. where you want to yeah. be yeah. in a proactive position. Yeah.
0: That That's one of the, the points that really stuck to me is, you know, if you, uh, th- like you just said, you uh, he or they who own the gold make the rules, and it's sort of the same thing as if you have access to capital, like opportunities, uh, find you. Uh, exactly, I'm just more open to that. So, so, th- so again, just to recap, that's for me personally. Uh, one of the the main things that intrigued me was this this safety that dividend, which historically has, you know, has been. On average, call it six percent, but you know a lot of years were higher than that, and and so forth. But um, for me, I'm more of like a conservative investor. I'd have no problem. I'll take six percent per year for the rest of my life, you know, without even thinking about it. Um, second what, big um, benefit to me, which again intrigued me, your cash is growing tax free. Yes. So, I wonder to
1: actually. I, I want to actually jump in on your first point when you were talking about you know the, the oh, yeah. historical dividend. It's really important for people to understand that this is like a TFSA on steroids. The design of the policy can allow you to deposit 3, four, eight, 10, 15 times the amount that you're eligible to put into a TFSA on an annual basis. Yeah. And all of the money that you put into the policy that cash value that you've created is compounding tax free. So let's just arbitrarily, you know, say that the dividend is 5%. Let's just be ultra conservative from your six. That's a 5% tax free rate of return with no volatility whatsoever. No market risk, none whatsoever. If you're putting all of your money into an RSP and in retirement, you're in a 30% tax bracket. To get that same 5% after-tax or tax-free inside the insurance, you need to make over a 7% rate of return in the RSP, And that's not an average rate of return. That's 7% every single year. So you find me an investment outside that's going to get you 7% with no market risk, right? And you're still going to be taxed. I'll take the 5 or whatever it happens to be inside the insurance and the fact that I can borrow against it, my money continually compounds while I use it. Yeah. So and- when, when we talk about, you know, like turning expenses into wealth through infinite banking, we can show people how just a simple vacation now is going to create wealth for you for the rest of your life because you never transferred the money away
0: yeah and that and, was that was this was the third point which I, I want to get into some examples here so and the third thing for me um was like you just said this was sort of like the kicker but the, the, the wow aha moment is, is being able to pretty much make in instant loans on your policy for whatever you want investments vacations lifestyle and not only take out the loans but being able to pay them back whenever you want, or not even at all. Exactly. So when I, when I say this, people are like, what are you talking about? When you take out a loan, you got to pay back the principal, the interest every month. Uh, but that's not the case with this infinite banking concept or, um, these whole life, you know, insurancy loans. So can you, can you talk yeah. about that as well?
1: So now we're getting into the process, right? Like, you know, the, the concept, if we go back to the concept for a second, What we have to understand that whether we pay cash for something and those people are called the savers or we look at the spenders who go into debt, whatever we purchase, being a saver or a spender, we finance it. And the savers don't believe they finance because they're not paying interest as the spenders do. But what the savers don't understand is that now that they've transferred their money away, that money can no longer earn interest for them. So there is a financing charge in the fact that they've lost the opportunity costs of that transaction. So I often use the example of you're saving money for a vacation, call it 5,000 bucks. You save $400 a month. By the end of the 12 months, you got your 4,800, 5,000 bucks then you grab that money and you jump off and you land back down to ground zero and you transfer that money away and they give you the keys to the, you know, the, the, the condo or wherever you've gone for vacation. Then you come back and you start the process all over again. But think of it this way. If we go back to month one, plant an apple tree. Over the course of the next 12 months, that apple tree is going to grow. And when it's time at the end of the 12th month for you to now harvest the fruit. I'm going to give you two options. I'll give you a ladder and a basket and you can grab, you can climb the ladder and pick the apples or I can give you a chainsaw and cut down the tree. Which would you do?
0: Pick the apples.
1: Right. So next year when it's time to repeat the process, will that tree likely be larger and have more fruit? Yep. Five, 10, 20 years down the road, it'll keep growing, Right. But if you cut down the tree, you have to plant a tree immediately right then for you to repeat the process. So we wouldn't cut down the tree. Why do we cut down the tree when it comes to our money? We are constantly building up the tree and then cutting it and then repeating the process. So with infinite banking, the money never leaves your system. You borrow against it. The money continually grows. So this example... I borrowed 4,800 bucks to go on vacation, still went on vacation. When I come back as a saver, I have to save the 400 bucks. Or as the spender, I have to pay the 400 bucks. It's the same $400. It's all coming from the same bank account. The problem is, it's a bank account that you don't own and control and profit from. The bank does.
0: Yeah. I love that. Another example I like to use is is on the investing side. A lot of people uh, that I speak to are also real estate investors, for example. So let's say, you know, there's a opportunity for a pre-construction condo that, you know, is a great investment. So hypothetically, let's say I have a hundred thousand in my policy uh, and I want to take a loan out of, let's say 50,000. So if I were to if I had that, let's say in a TFSA, that, 50,000 would just be deducted from my TFSA. And now it's growing at 50,000 instead of 100,000. Whereas if I take out the loan on my policy, I'm still growing at at my 100,000, which I had. I'm just leveraging that 50,000 to, in this case, pay for my deposit for the pre-construction condos. And what I love about it is that I don't have to pay anything back. until let's say I sell that condo, maybe next year. Exactly. Sure that I'm going to sell it. I'm going to get that cash windfall twelve months from now. Um, I'm not going to pay anything back. It's not going to affect my lifestyle, my monthly expenses, my cash flow. So, so that's a part that to me is is just you know a no brainer as well. So I like using that example.
1: In your in your bang on. So what what your listeners need to understand is when you are utilizing a loan through the insurance company and that's important you're borrowing the money from the insurance company the insurance company puts a lien on the death benefit so in your example of hundred thousand dollars of cash and borrowing fifty thousand dollars you might have an 800 or a million dollar life insurance policy that's what the insurance company ho- hooks onto. And says, Costa, yeah, we'll let you borrow this money. And because we control the death benefit, we don't require any payments. This is purely a capitalized loan. You are truly the bank. You get to, as a bank manager, determine the amount of the loan, the payment period, the interest rate, the dollar amount, or none of those. Because you control it. And if you wanted to borrow the money, it just comes from the death benefit that's going to pass on to your beneficiaries. So I love the fact that you use the example of the pre-construction condo. I can borrow the money from my policy, but unlike borrowing it from, say, a line of credit where the bank's going to make me make those monthly payments, and that money is coming out of my current lifestyle, I can't use it for something else. We've created what's called an and asset where I can have the money in my policy and invest outside. And now I don't have to worry about making any of the payments so I can use that capital for another investment option. And then when that pre-construction condo is available for sale, I then can pay back the interest to my loan. But I've had the capital, the freedom and liquidity use and control of that money all the way along. And the bank will never. Sorry, the insurance company will never come knocking for that money because they hold the death benefit as the lien, and every single year that death benefit is increasing also. So it'll always outpace the amount of my loan.
0: So you know, when when people say like, you know, you you're, you're becoming your own banker, like that's that's very literal. Literal, like you really are becoming your own banker. For, for me, to to really wrap my head around this, like you, it's it's really important to, to almost adjust your mindset. Like since young, going through school, you're sort of taught the the way to sort of think about finances, uh, getting a job, you know, getting loans, paying back the loans, etc., etc. So it it really like turns that upside down. So it starts with really um, changing the way you think about money and finance and uh but back to this loan though another thing which people should know is that this is not like you know you, you're applying for a loan you're filling out applications yes. it's literally like pick up the phone to your insurance broker say hey scott i need fifty thousand um like that money is going to be just in your account like in the next day or a couple of days or whatever there's no questions there's no there's no questions
1: advice. except so, except for where do you want the money deposited?
0: deposited yeah
1: right? Like, is it still the same bank account cost? Yes, it is. Okay, fine. There's no credit application. There's no credit check. There's no credit score. It's purely a private loan between you and the insurance company, and it stays off of the commercial side books. So this is exceptionally important for real estate investors, where you're always, you know, working within the bank's total debt and gross debt servicing ratios and going, okay, where do we stand? And then, of course, if you are borrowing your money personally and you do a car loan, well, that has a dramatic impact on your credit availability. So this allows you to be building up a warehouse of wealth off to the side that never shows up on the other commercial side. And it's really important to understand that there's an awful lot of people doing the burr, right? And just flipping and flipping and flipping. But all of their money, all of their liquidity, all their access to capital is inside of one very slender column, and it's all real estate. And it's fine and dandy when real estate is going up, and you can keep leveraging off of it. But when, like in the game Django, you start pulling this and things start to collapse. When house prices fall, it's a golden opportunity to buy more real estate. But how can you when all of your money is in the real estate and it's all gone down and there's no capital to borrow from? If you had your liquidity over to the side, now those problems are my opportunities. Yeah, And people make the most amount of money when things are bad. That's when you get the deals.
0: That's another reason why I love this. So I look at it as almost like a savings account is this instead of keeping your money in the bank account, which is doing nothing, you're, you're literally just putting it into this policy. You know, it's growing, compounding, uh, every single day, every year. And when you see as me speaking from, uh, the lens of, uh, like an entrepreneur someone who's always, you know, looking for opportunities, n- knowing that I have this easy access to this capital, um, uh, my, my lens on opportunities just expands because, you know, I I know I have this easy liquid access to capital and I can uh, capitalize on opportunities that come my way very quickly. And
1: because it's an ant asset, you never interrupted the growth of that $50,000 when you used it somewhere else. So now you have two pools that are making money for you at the same time. And if you borrowed the money for investment purposes, you now have an interest rate and in a tax deduction for the interest. Whereas if you just took the money out of your TFSA and put it in there, you won, you only have an ore asset now, and you have no tax deduction. So people have to understand that they are losing money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions just in the way that they do not understand that we finance everything we buy. Yeah. And yeah. the more they put money away for their future in risk assets that are completely taxable, the less they're going to actually have to spend. So one of the concepts that we get to talk to people about is: if you were a farmer, given the chance by Revenue Canada, would you want to pay tax on the seed? or on the total harvest from that one seed, which would you choose? Just the seed. Exactly. So if you understand that, and that's what you'd want, now you understand the problem with RSPs. Because that one seed is your RSP contribution. The harvest is how much that RSP is going to grow for you in the future. And of course, we want the biggest harvest. We want a bumper crop. But the larger that RSP grows, what people fail to understand the larger that RSP is, the less you actually own. And this is a problem with the financial industry. They show you the gross amount on paper. Oh, I've got a million dollars. The problem is you don't realize that if you were to pass away, 45, 50-plus percent of that is going to be taken right off the top by CRA. They did nothing for this whatsoever. But they benefited along the way as you continually grew the harvest. And that's another big problem with with current financial planning. The advisors want you in assets because they get paid based on assets under administration. So the more they grow your money, the more money they make. The problem is you don't realize that you're the one that's going to be paying all the tax, not the advisor.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I feel like the more we, we talk about this, people are, are thinking like, you know, this sounds too good to be true. And, you know, as I was, I thought the same thing, and you know, as I was going through my my due diligence, doing the research, and uh, speaking to several insurance brokers and financial advisors about this concept, I I quickly realized, which was interesting, that almost no financial advisor, life insurance broker, planner had any idea what this infinite banking is or what the concept is like at the at the very most maybe they had a a vague understanding of it but not really so my question is if if this is so good to be true which i actually think it is like why don't more financial advisors know about it so i go
1: back to what i said at the very beginning if you're not aware of a problem you're not going to search for the solution so currently there are 136 thousand plus licensed financial agents in Canada. We all learned from exactly the same course material to get our licenses. Because this is the way financial planning is done, are you going to question whether or not that's true? Everybody's doing it. So if I want to get into the industry, then I'm learning what everybody else is already duplicating. So that's problem number one. Nobody questions whether or not this actually makes sense. We just regurgitate the same material and then we educate our clients with the same material. And the next thing you know, what was false repeated enough times becomes true. It's still false, but we believe it to be the way it is. So financial advisors are trained to grow assets under administration. That's where the money is. So that's in RSPs and TFSAs. Secondly, when you're looking at why doesn't why wasn't I taught this in school? Why doesn't everybody know about this? The insurance, infinite banking, is going to take money away from the asset under management mentality. So none of the banks who want those assets under administration and to have them locked away so they can make the management fees off of them want you to know this exists Two, the financial advisors want to be able to make money off of assets under administration. So they're not going to question whether or not this is true. You get to um, the education, consistent education to the process of financial planning. And that information has all been derived from those who are going to benefit from capitalizing your money and controlling it. So they're never going to let you know this exists. This money takes money away from CRA. So the government's never going to want you to know this exists. And yet, insurance precedes Canada as a country, oldest insurance company, 1847, Canada Life, and predates the Income Tax Act. So insurance has very specific benefits that are outside of the Income Tax Act that allows for all of that money that you have inside of your cash value banking system. In retirement, and I want everybody to get closer to the speakers. In retirement, you're able to receive 100% tax-free income. So no market risk, no volatility. You get to use your money and change your expenses into money-making assets. You get to have an and asset so you're making money in two places at the same time you never lose your opportunity costs so your apple tree continually grows and then in retirement you get completely tax-free income and still pass away a six or seven figure inheritance to your kids
0: yeah i, I was gonna i was gonna mention that as well because i feel like we, we we skipped it but you just uh mentioned it so. So, again, I, I want to repeat that because when I heard that, I'm like, okay, hey, this is just insane. So, in retirement, you know, at that time, hopefully your cash value has just continued to compound and grow. And, you know, if you look at charts, the later years is when you really start to see the compound really kick in. So, when you're retired, you can literally just start taking out loans of, let's say, 100,000, 150,000 a year uh, as, and use it as your income and literally just not pay it back. Exactly. Free.
1: Yeah, there crazy. you you don't, so it's very similar to a reverse mortgage mentality, where you have the asset, you borrow against the asset, and the asset is held as the collateral. So in this case, the house, or with Infinite Banking, it's the insurance. And the 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 interesting, the interesting thing about real estate or utilizing it as a reverse mortgage versus insurance. The insurance can't go down. So the amount of money you're able to borrow as a percentage is dramatically higher because there's no volatility. Whereas in real estate, we know the real estate can fall in price. So the amount of money that you can borrow against the real estate is lower. But they're both utilizing assets that allow you to have completely tax-free income with no payment requirements, it's just the insurance is an awful lot safer than the real estate because there is no opportunity for loss.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, amazing. Um, I wanna, I wanna play a little uh, devil's advocate, um, and so. Something I I'll, I can see people criticizing is sort of the the dividend rate, the interest rate. So, yeah, you know, I can see a lot of people looking at the the average, which we said was call it about six percent, and compare that to the average of uh, let's say the S and P five hundred, which I think is just over ten percent over the last hundred years, if I'm not mistaken. Oh no, no,
1: it's no? last hundred years is about seven and a half with dividends reinvested.
0: Okay. Is that after tax or? No. That's before. Okay. so That's before. Okay,
1: Because once again, who knows what your tax bracket is, right? Each person is going to be different. So that is just Thanks the thing. aggregate gross return.
0: Okay. So let's just use the, the S&P as an example. Higher than 6%. So people might say, you know what? I can, I can get a better interest right there. So why would I put my money into uh, uh, this life insurance when I can make more? Uh, and I, I I
1: agree. But remember, that statement is an or statement. Infinite banking is an and statement. If I can have my money in infinite banking in first position, borrow it to put it into an asset that has the potential, let's quote that, potential higher rate of return, am I still getting the higher rate of return of the S&P 500? Yes or no? No. Well, I, I am because I just bought the S and P five hundred, right? So let's go one hundred thousand dollars in my policy, or one hundred thousand dollars in the S and P five hundred. If my money's in the policy and I borrow the one hundred thousand dollars and I buy the S and P five hundred, will I get the S and P five hundred rate of return?
0: Oh, so yeah, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, but your money's still growing in your policy. So my money's
1: still in the policy. Yeah. So if I'm earning whoop de do five percent. I'm running 5% over here plus the S&P rate of return. And then I'm writing off the interest cost. So I'm always going, there isn't, there isn't an asset that the rate of return of that asset will not be increased by running it through your infinite banking policy in the first place. Because it's an and asset, I'm making money in two places at the same time. If you just think about it in isolation as an or, you're leaving money on the table.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, another reason why I, I can see people sort of advising or going against this policy is um, due to the fact that in the first few years, and I don't want to get into too deep too in detail, but if you look at illustrations, like first few years contributing into the policy, your cash value is a little bit negative. Um, compared to the amount that you put into it. Yeah. Uh, meaning, you know, let's say you contribute, call it 30,000 in year one. By the end of year one, you won't have 30,000 available in your cash amount, but you'll have maybe, I don't know, 25 or 26 or something like that. So, or, or less. Um, yeah. Or less. Yeah. Depending on how it's structured. So, you know, Critics of the concept can use this um, as a reason why it doesn't make sense because they say, you know, you can make interest uh, right away uh, by putting your money elsewhere. So why lose money in the first few years, etc. cetera? So uh, what's your, uh, what are your what's your take on that?
1: Oh, there are so many ways of just schooling these people, because once again, they don't know what they don't know. So one of the examples is, um, would you say that dentists make a lot of money? Some of them, yeah. Yeah. So they go through four years of university first, which is all an expense, no profit, correct? Then there's right. dentistry school, school after that, all expenses, no profit. They could easily be $150,000, dollars $250,000 in debt before they even have an opportunity to put into practice what they've been teaching. True. Why on earth would they spend so many years? Not making any money and in fact accumulating liabilities. Why would they do that in the first place?
0: Yeah. Because
1: yeah. they have to establish the foundation first before they can start building the you know the pool of money. So go back to Amazon. We look at Amazon right now as this you know behemoth of a company. But go back into the 1990s and figure out how many businesses start with instant profit right out of the gate. You have more expenses going out in the first place to build a foundation and to get the process rolling than you do having capital come back in. So this is a business. You are designing a second business, and the business is banking. And every business is going to have expenses at the very beginning, that are going to take away from their profitability. But once you get that foundation going, then you have the capital where you can start to expand the process and start making that uninterrupted compounding. But there's a second part to that. And it, it is one of the problems with the fact that the word banking is put in to the concept because we think, well, if I'm putting in twenty thousand dollars and I put that into a bank account, I have the twenty thousand bucks. If I have the twenty thousand dollars and I'm implementing infinite banking, I might have fifteen thousand. Where'd the other five go? So let's just think of that for a second. And cost, I'm gonna make this a little you know personal. You you have a twin brother. You put twenty thousand dollars into the bank he puts $20,000 into his infinite banking policy. You both compare your statements. You've got 20, he's got 15. You're going, why on earth would you do that? But you pass away the next day. How much of that $20,000 goes to your spouse? In my case, all of it. All of it. So she gets the 20,000 bucks. In your brother's case, your twin brother, he passes away. But part of that $20,000 bought the life insurance. So he has a life insurance policy of $600,000. How much of the $600,000 goes to his spouse? All of it. Same $20,000 outlay. But the reason why I have less to start off is because I've also purchased this death benefit that covers off my family for the what if unforeseeable tragic event. So they're not even comparable. 20 grand versus 600, isn't even a question. So they just don't understand the process. They're just focused in on the product. And that's where we have to educate people.
0: And it's very easy to to cherry pick like year one, year two, but- Oh, easily. Let's look again at year 10, year 15. And I think at that point it's, um, you know, pretty clear who's going to be the winner in almost all cases.
1: And, And to give you an example, when I, when I did my very first policy and the amount of money that I put in, a portion of that money that I put in buys additional death benefits, they're called paid up additions. So this automatically grows my banking system every time I make a deposit. every time my premium is paid, a portion of that goes off. So that's one of the other attributes or contribute what contributes to the fact that I put in 20, but I only have 15. A portion of that money went to increase my banking system. When I did my first policy, I got a three to one increase in death benefit. So the hundred and, so the 50,000 I put in, bought me $150,000 worth of additional death benefit. That cash value has to grow. Contractually, it's guaranteed. That cash value has to grow from the 50 to the 150 by the time I reach age 100. But that 150 is going to continually grow too because the dividends are buying more paid-up additions. So it's kind of a two steps forward, one step back. I'm always increasing my capacity and always increasing my death benefit and the more capacity and more death benefit I have, the more access to capital I have, which then gives me more opportunities to make money, which I can then deposit back into my policy. And I just start the whole process all over again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating concept. I feel like there's, you know, we've had multiple conversations like for, several hours each. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you can really get deep here. Um, I feel like we should have uh, like a part two and three and four of this as well. <laughs> but I, think that, I think, I feel like this was good uh, surface level. It's again, my, my objective for this conversation was really just to get uh, people's ears perked a bit, get some eyeballs on this, like pique some interest and uh, hopefully people can start doing uh, their own digging and research. Do you have any recommendations on where people can start to learn more?
1: So infinitebanking.org is the Nelson Nash Institute's main website. And there is a a ton of resources there. The ability to purchase Becoming Your Own Banker. Uh, It is paramount. So this is a self-published book that has sold over half a million copies and it is really important to be able to once again understand the concept this doesn't get into the ideology but it does get into how you implement the process of infinite banking the infinitebanking.org website tons of resource material there three youtube social media etc our website uh, IB Canada. Well oh boy, I forget our website because I've I just it's it's a favorite all the time. Um Ibcanadagroup.com. Uh, you can find a bunch of information there. We have a number of master classes. Uh, it really comes down to do some homework, put together a bunch of questions, and then reach out to an authorized practitioner. And on the infinitebanking.org site, you can go to Canada and you can go directly to your province and find advisors who are authorized there. And that's a very good point. Out of 136,000 authorized you know practitioners in financial planning, currently there's only 40 of us in the whole country who are authorized practitioners. So only deal with an advisor who is on that list.
0: There are a lot of people want to out reiterate there. That. I I, yeah. I quickly just want to reiterate that as well. So it is I IBCanadaGroup.com. And so I think so. I, it's, it's, I I'm sorry, it's, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just pulled it up. But so okay, good. Thank the you. reason I'm saying this is when during my research, um, I, so I deliberately like seeked out to, to speak to just your average life insurance broker, a, a referral you'll get from someone. Uh, who does life insurance, financial advising. So I really wanted to speak to just the average uh, financial planner about this. And literally uh, no one I spoke to uh, knew about it other than the people that are actual uh, infinite banking practitioners. So um, I highly suggest, yeah, like that website. That's how we connected is through that website, ibcanadagroup.com. So there's a list of uh, folks there.
1: I spent a lot of time reviewing on the internet, you know, every, every night I go to YouTube, infinite banking, who's putting stuff out. I watch the videos and within the first three or four minutes, I can tell instantly this person's not authorized and they've Mm -hmm. come across the concept and now they're trying to promote it. And the issue is you can go to home Depot, you can go to Lowe's and you can talk to somebody regarding a chainsaw. And they can tell you, oh, you put the gas in here. You need, you know, 50-50 oil gas mixture in here. You know, here's how you pull it, etc. And off you go. They've sold you a tool, but nobody has shown you how to safely use it. Yeah. So now you go out and you start cutting down a tree. Next thing you know, the thing swings back and kills you, right? Yeah. That's the problem. You need somebody who not only can provides you with the product, but the solution, the problems, how to fix them, how to be careful, how to do it properly. And a lot of times out there I'll hear, well, you pay yourself back interest. No, you don't. You didn't borrow the money from yourself. You borrowed it from the insurance company. You're paying them back. The only time that you theoretically can pay yourself back interest is if you pay extra interest on money that you've borrowed. But then that's nothing more than just an additional deposit. So that's one of the things that, that really bothers me. But it's one of those things that sounds really sexy. And for the uneducated, just you know spewing verbal diarrhea out there, with something that they under, you know, understand very little about, it then starts to pollute people's thought process so that by the time they actually come to us, we're essentially haven't uh, you know deprogram them from all the stuff that they thought was true that wasn't.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I uh, kept hearing a lot when I was starting out my research. Is that you know you're taking out a loan, you instead of paying the interest back to the bank, you're paying the interest back to yourself. And I like think you said that sounds like amazing, but it, it's not it's not true. Uh, and usually people who, yeah. who say that are they're, they're definitely not actual practitioners of it but uh, what, so it's, what it's what cool. it's
1: doing is it's allowing you to not interrupt the growth of your money so you're still earning the interest on that money so call it six of one half dozen of the other right if i'm still earning the 5% and i'm paying the 5% people can't interpret that that i'm paying myself back but I'm really not because I didn't I'm, I'm not the bank right I'm mimicking banking processes but I'm still borrowing the money from the insurance company and they're the middleman that allows my money to stay whole right yeah, so exactly I guess what the one thing I want to I want to leave people with cuz I'm assuming we're getting you know close to the end here the simplest thing is go back to real estate if you have a house that's worth a million dollars and you decide to do an uh, an equity takeout, a line of credit takeout of $50,000 on that home. So the home was a was million and I've just borrowed $50,000. What's the value of the house? Still a million dollars. The house does not know that I borrowed $50,000 from it. So if that house goes up in value, it goes up on the full million dollars. Not the million minus the fifty thousand. Right. You use the bank money, not your money, not your equity. You use the bank's money. You borrow the bank's money, even though you have it in the house. It's equity, but it's tied up. And the only way for you to get access to it is one: borrow the money from the bank, or two: sell part of your house to somebody else to give you the fifty thousand dollars. But now you never have ownership of that part of the house again. Infinite banking, when you borrow the money from the insurance, is exactly the same. Using a third party borrowing their capital against the equity that you have inside your policy, and if people can understand that, then everything else we talk about that we have talked about and will talk about now starts to make sense.
0: Yeah, that's a great example. Um, And you know, I I try to be clear as well. For me, like I have no financial interest in this, like for me, this is just a concept that I truly and genuinely want more people to know about and understand and hopefully do the research because this is really something that can like set people up and make them a lot more financially independent and less reliant on, um, you know, banks and governments and, and so much. There's so much benefit there. So so that's that's my intention. Uh, of this, um, Scott. Thanks so much. If someone wanted to learn more, reach out to you directly. Where's the best place they could do that? And I'll put it all in purely. The description yeah, as
1: well. purely our website. Right at that point, we've got a link to contact us. They can put directly in. Oh, I want to, you know, I want to talk to Scott. Um, anybody? So we have advisors from coast to coast. We have 17 advisors out of the 40, and it's truly set up where no matter where you are in the country, we actually had somebody from the Northwest Territories connect with us, right? There's maybe like five insurance agents in the whole territory, and they you know, reached down to one of us in Ontario. So connect with us there, the ability to follow us on social media. So please, you know, subscribe, like, etc. Click all that for updated information, plus access to the masterclass, 90 plus minutes. It's going to give you a lot of ideas and a lot of answers and give you visuals as to what we talked about today. And that's a really good start, but definitely reading the book and having the conversation with an authorized practitioner is your most important step to take
0: amazing amazing and again that website is ibcanadagroup.com. i'll put that in the I should write that down thank so, you yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right scott thanks so much man a uh, pleasure as always and uh, i really appreciate you you coming on to talk about this and i have a feeling we're we're going to do uh, a part 2 perhaps very soon so
1: nice thank you for for taking this on as a social responsibility to help educate Canadians. Because if Absolutely. people really knew what was going on, there would be riots in the street. I agree. But the government, the government and everybody else just wants to keep us in the dark. And I'm not going conspiracy theorist on anybody. I'm just purely stating that if you actually understood the whole mechanics of how money works, you'd realize just how much you're playing into the hands of those who control it. And we want to take that power away from them and put it back in your hands because it's your money, not theirs.
0: Exactly, exactly. Well said. Scott, appreciate it once again. And we will definitely be in touch.
1: Excellent. Look forward to it. And everybody, happy banking. (laughs) Take care. Thanks. Bye.